Welcome to Inclusion and Marketing, the show that's all about giving you the skills and insights you need to win the attention, adoration, and loyalty of more consumers, especially those with differences that are often ignored by brands. I'm your host, Sonia Thompson, a marketer and a person with a lot of differences. Let's get to it. Okay, I've got another podcast recommendation for you. It's Latinx in Power, hosted by Thaisa Fernandez. It's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. This podcast features interviews with top-level executives, entrepreneurs, and innovators from Latin America, aiming to demystify the tech industry by providing listeners with insider perspectives and insight from Latin American leaders who have succeeded in their fields. I like listening to this podcast because I like hearing from a broad diversity of voices and hearing from and learning from their experiences. One episode I'm super excited to dive into is the latest one, Lead Generation Journey with Glenville Dixon Jr. Listen to Latinx Empower wherever you get your podcasts. Cutting a piece of paper seems like a simple enough task, but for much of my childhood, I got anxiety every time I had to do it. From the time I was in kindergarten, any piece of paper I cut looked a hot mess, and I mean a royal hot mess. The problem? I'm left-handed, and most scissors are made for people to use their right hands to cut. So if you use traditional scissors with your left hand, your paper looks kind of like a jagged, jargled mess. As a kindergarten with perfectionist tendencies, I thought something was wrong with me. I avoided cutting whenever possible. And when that wasn't an option, I learned how to cut with my right hand so I wouldn't feel so inadequate when working with scissors. It wasn't until I got to the fifth grade that I discovered left-handed scissors existed. It was like a miracle. Finally, I could cut with the hand that felt most natural to me without feeling like I belonged in a remedial class. Because of these left-handed scissors, I finally realized that I wasn't the problem. I just hadn't had the equipment needed to help me perform at my best. So who do I blame for the years of scissors-induced trauma? Sure, the marketers of these companies are an easy target. I could hurl accusations to them about their discriminatory practices, lack of empathy and insensitivity toward the 10% of the population who are left-handed, but the marketers are only a scapegoat of a bigger problem. The probable source of their disregard for left-handers was their buyer personas. The personas that so many smart marketers live by caused them to make many qualified customers feel like they didn't belong. That's why today we're going to cover inclusive buyer personas and why they are the foundation that give you the keys to the kingdom when it comes to engaging underrepresented and underserved communities. So I want to ask you, have you ever tried to buy a gift for someone you don't know? A couple of years ago over the holidays, I went to a party where we did a white elephant gift exchange. A few hours before, I found myself aimlessly roaming around trying to find a cool gift a stranger would enjoy. It's hard buying gifts for people you don't know very well. You end up finding something that is boring or generic enough so as not to offend anyone. But in trying to find a basic item, most of the time you end up forfeiting the opportunity to deliver a gift that the recipient will love. Your business is like that. 
The products, services, and experiences you deliver are like a gift you are giving the customers you serve. The better you know your customers, the better equipped you'll be to give them gifts they'll be excited about. That's why savvy marketers treat their customers like they're good friends. Gwyneth Paltrow's lifestyle company, Goop, tripled their year-on-year revenue back in 2017. Elise Lonen, their chief content officer, told me they attributed a large part of that growth to producing content and products for their readers who they view as their friends. Here's what Elise had to say. So that's really what we focus on is talking to our readers the way that we would talk to our smartest friends and giving them all the context, all the information that they would need to feel like they're making a great decision or a great purchase. Grammy award-winning singer, actress, and entrepreneur Rihanna thinks of her fans and customers the same way. She said, I have this perception that my friends are the consumer. In real life, you don't need a document that details everything you know about your friends to help you be a good friend to them. But in business, a document like this, also known as buyer personas, is essential. It provides a guidebook for you and everyone on your team for how to interact with your customers to keep them coming back to you. Good buyer personas are detailed enough that they demonstrate that you know your customers as well as you know your best friend, especially as it relates to the problem you help them solve. When your personas are done right, they help you attract the customers you want like a magnet. They provide a roadmap that enables you to know exactly what to do throughout your customer journey to draw your customers closer to you. In particular, your buyer personas help you with these three things. Number one, they help you with your product development. There's no need to guess about what kinds of products your customers want to buy from you when you know them well and pay attention to what they say and do over time, what they need most will become obvious, much the way it does with you and your friends. Sprinkles Bakery knows that many of their ideal customers have a dog, so they've introduced a product line of pup packs, which are really just doggy cupcakes, designed to delight both dog customers and their beloved best friends. I think I'm going to have to get some of these pup packs for Mora next time we go to Sprinkles. She's going to love them. The products you produce for your customers should be such a perfect match for them that they say, here, take my money. Number two, personas drive your copy. They determine what you should be writing. So many of us use a different kind of lingo when we talk to our friends. It's less formal. It's rife with inside jokes that make it difficult for those who aren't in our inner circle to follow along. The words we use with our friends deepen our bond. A few years ago, I read this post on copy hackers from Joanna Weeb about time management. Every time I read it, I laugh out loud when I get to this line, which means all of these minute killers are what Bobby Boucher's mama would describe as the devil. (laughs) Sorry, even reading it now, I can't stop laughing. (laughs) My mom wouldn't get the joke. Many of my friends wouldn't get the joke, but I get the joke, and that's all that matters. Joanna, when she was writing that part, knew that I would get this joke reference from 1998 because she knows me, her ideal reader and customer, and she knows that I just laugh at Waterboy references. 
The way you talk to your customers is part of what makes them feel like they belong with you as well. This your buyer persona should reflect the intimacy you have with them that informs the way in which you communicate with each other, particularly in the copy you use along your customer journey. And the third way that buyer personas help you is they help you make decisions with regards to your photography and your visual imagery. Business is about belonging. Effective marketing will signal to your ideal customers that they belong with you. They will feel like you see them, you get them, and you've designed your products, services, and experiences to fit them perfectly. So when your buyer personas reflect your customer friends, it makes it easier for you to produce imagery that either is a reflection of who they are or who they aspire to be. Nike's mission is to bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. They define an athlete as anyone with a body. So when you consider it that way, the imagery associated with who their ideal customers are could take on many forms and multiple personas. Nike has embraced that diversity of various personas with the photography on their Instagram page. So if you'll go, you'll see Olympic athletes. You'll see people who are older. You'll see people who have various forms of disability. You'll see black people. You'll see white people. You'll see people of other races. You'll see young people. You'll see people who um, have different body types. So many different types of people can go to that page and see imagery that they would be able to identify somebody like them or somebody who they aspire to be. Your photography and your visual imagery should communicate you belong here to your ideal customers. So let's talk a little bit about why I like to call buyer personas the magnet that simultaneously attracts and repels. By their very nature, buyer personas help you exclude certain groups of customers. Not everyone can and should be your customer, the same way that everyone can't be your friend. But the excluding that you're doing should be intentional. The challenge is this. Far too many brands have personas that exclude large groups of customers without their marketers even realizing it. That's why it isn't too difficult to understand why so much exclusion marketing happens. It often comes down to a scientific term known as homophily, which essentially goes like this. You're just like me. You'll fit in just fine here. The homophily principle says, and this is the scientific terminology that they've used, contact between similar people occurs at a higher rate than among dissimilar people. A group of researchers from the University of Arizona and Duke analyzed various studies of homophily over many decades. They published their findings in the paper, Birds of a Feather, Homophily in Social Networks, and here's how they summarized their observations. Similarity breeds connection. This principle, the homophily principle, structures network ties of every type, including marriage, friendship, work, advice, support, information transfer, exchange, co-membership, and other types of relationship. The result is that people's personal networks are homogenous with regard to many socio-demographic, behavioral, and interpersonal characteristics. Homophily limits people's social worlds in a way that has powerful implications for the information they receive, the attitudes they form, and the interactions they experience. Homophily in race and ethnicity creates the strongest divides in our personal environments, with age, religion, education, occupation, and gender following in roughly that order. 
The authors went on to add, by interacting only with others who are like ourselves, anything that we experience as a result of our position gets reinforced. It comes to typify people like us. In other words, when marketers go through the process of doing their ideal customer research and creating their buyer personas, they are more likely to profile people or ideal customers that are more similar to them rather than dissimilar. While that similarity helps you to focus your efforts on a group of customers whom you have an inherent degree of familiarity with, it also causes you to leave out those groups of customers who have backgrounds and experiences that deviate from your own. Thus, it isn't a far leap to hypothesize that many of the marketers who worked on scissors when I was a kid didn't have a ton of left-handed people in their world. As a result, their frame of reference for considering how to serve left-handed people was limited or non-existent. If a restaurant owner, chef, or meeting organizer doesn't have people with dietary restrictions in their inner circle, they are less likely to fully consider those who do have them when they are creating their menu. While many brands have gotten away with marketing to people like us, trends show that approach won't be so effective in the future. The makeup of the people we serve is changing in multiple ways. Here are some noteworthy demographic trends you should be aware of. Millennials are soon projected, if they haven't already, to overtake baby boomers as the largest generation. At 35%, millennials are the largest generation in the U.S. labor force. 42% of U.S. adults live without a spouse or a partner. 48% of Gen Z are from communities of color, making them the most racially and ethnically diverse generation. Women are the sole or primary breadwinners in 40% of households. 23% of children live with a single mother. One study showed that 6 out of 10 households had at least one person who restricts the food from their diet. The most common foods that people in the study avoided were sugar, salt, carbs, dairy, lactose, and gluten. 4.5% of adults in the U.S. identify as from the LGBT community. 31% of people around the world are Christian. 24% are Muslim, 16 unaffiliated, and 15% Hindu. As of the 2020 census in the U.S., less than 60% of the U.S. population is white. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. Like trying to remember the name of that guy you just met at a networking event. Was it Ron or could it be Don or John or Sean? Yeah, that kind of impossible. HubSpot's all new service hub can help. Well, with the service solution part, at least. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. With an AI powered help desk and an AI chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs in a full 360 view of every customer so your go-to-market team can keep a pulse on accounts before trying to upsell or cross-sell. Also, you can scale support and drive retention and revenue. And you know what that means. Better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit HubSpot.com service to do more for your customers today. While the demographics shouldn't be the only consideration when constructing your buyer personas, it is important to note the impact these demographic characteristics have on the psychographics and the behaviors of the people you are serving. And if your marketing is targeted effectively to your ideal customer, but it excludes one of their friends, 
then you run the risk of losing out on multiple groups of customers. For instance, for health reasons, I follow a gluten-free diet. Thankfully, when I go out to eat with my friends, they are very good about making sure we go to a restaurant that has plenty of options for me to eat. My friends go through this effort because they want to include me. They want me around and aren't going to let my dietary restrictions get in the way of our quality time together. And if a restaurant works for them but doesn't work for me, we don't go. With all the various types of differences that exist, buyer personas that only focus on what has historically been considered mainstream could be signaling to a large number of potentially loyal consumers that this isn't for you. When your buyer personas exclude customers you didn't intend to, those very customers go off in search of other companies who acknowledge their needs and serve them. Buyer personas are a powerful marketing tool, But like with any tool, their ability to help or hinder your business is only as good as the inputs that go into it and how you use it. Even though far too many personas unintentionally exclude, there are plenty of smart marketers who've done an excellent job of using personas to include more of their ideal customers. Even though the homophily principle implies that many people are limited in their consideration of others because their circles are largely similar, there is other research that showcases the ways in which the homophily phenomenon can be overcome, ways that can help you be more inclusive in your marketing, openness and empathy. Even though the homophily principle implies that many people are limited in their consideration of others because their circles are largely similar, there is other research that showcases the ways in which the homophily phenomenon can be overcome, ways that can help you be more inclusive in your marketing. Those ways, openness and empathy. So there was a 2017 study of more than 12,000 British households that found that the personality of openness caused respondents to be more likely to have friends who lived farther away, were of the opposite sex, and were of another ethnicity. Professors at the universities of Iowa and Toronto authored a New York Times article where they argued that empathy is a choice. Here's what they had to say. While we concede that the exercise of empathy is, in practice, often far too limited in scope, we dispute the idea that this shortcoming is inherent, a permanent flaw in the emotion itself. Inspired by a competing body of recent research, we believe that empathy is a choice that we make whether to extend ourselves to others. The limits to our empathy are merely apparent and can change, sometimes drastically, depending upon what we want to feel. In the article, they cited various research studies that showed that empathy is lessened for people who are different from us, particularly those who are of different races, nationalities, and creeds. When you treat your customers as your friends, it becomes easier to make sure your friends are taken care of. Openness and empathy are woven into how you treat each other. When you think of your customers and the relationship you have with them, the focus isn't on how they are different and how that might inconvenience you. Rather, it's on making sure that you do what you need to do to include them in whatever it is you're doing. Now, it's important to note that inclusivity isn't always about accommodating differences that may require a different approach to your products and services. At times, it's just about refocusing your targeting efforts to welcome customers who could be loyalists to your brand if only they were introduced to your product and consistently engaged on in a relevant manner. The craft beer market has started to embrace this concept over the past couple of years. According to a New York Times report, 
the industry is looking beyond young white dudes with beards. I'm using air quotes here. That's exactly what they said, young white dudes with beards, as a means to bolster slowing sales growth. As a result of their openness in recent years, the Brewers Association hired a diversity ambassador and has established a set of guidelines and resources to assist brewers in making their brands more inclusive. As a result of all their efforts, they're making progress as consumption of craft beer among women, African-Americans, Native Americans, and Latinos are on the rise. So here are three ways to know if your personas are a repellent to potentially loyal customers. Your customers are leaving you clues that help you figure out whether or not they like what you're doing. And because the topics of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging can still be touchy for folks, the good news is you can use cold, hard data as your guide when it comes to assessing your brand. So here are three sources to turn to for insight. Number one, evaluate if your customers are representative of the population. Ideally, your customers should be reflective of the population that fits within the demographic of your buyer persona. If 85% of your customers are women and 50% of the people who check all the boxes for the characteristics you describe in your persona are men, that's a signal that something about your marketing doesn't make men feel like they belong. When planning for the Inbound Conference in 2018, organizers noted that 65% of their attendees were female. So the team made a point to ensure that the speakers on the stage were representative of who would be in the audience. Laura Moran, who's the content and talent team manager for the conference, told Forbes why they made representation a priority. We want to make sure that we're putting together a lineup that is representative of the people who are coming. And anecdotally, we've seen that if we make an effort to create diversity on the stages, we see more diversity in our attendees as well. When you put in the effort to make inclusion a priority, you'll start to notice you'll attract a broader number of customers and the makeup of them will be quite different. Second way to know if your personas need work. You'll have a high attrition rates of specific groups of customers. A while back, I worked with a marketing team at a pharmaceutical company on their African-American engagement strategy. As we were looking at the data, we recognized that of all the ethnic groups, African-Americans had the lowest satisfaction with the product, stayed on it the least amount of time, and had the lowest emotional connection with the brand. This data was telling because of this important point. African-Americans had a higher prevalence rate of the disease state that the brand treated in comparison to the other patient populations. So why did African-Americans have higher rates of attrition? After a quick look at their marketing, it was clear why. Few attempts had been made to serve the audience in a manner that was relevant to them. And when they did try, the attempts were superficial, which had the opposite impact of what the brand wanted. As you look through the data on your customers, assess whether or not there are certain customers who are more likely than others to stop using your products and your services. It could be a clear signal that they don't feel like they belong. And the last way to know if your buyer personas need some work from an inclusivity standpoint is to pay attention to customer feedback. Consider comments from frustrated customers as a gift. The majority of unsatisfied customers will leave without saying a word. Sometimes the ones who do speak up will give you their feedback about inclusion in the form of public rebukes, like many conference goers who've taken to doing when the speaker lineup isn't representative. They'll call out companies over and over again that have what they call mantles. 
And other times they'll just give you the feedback directly. And they might sliding your DMs, respond to an email. There are a variety of ways that they can do it. Key is to just listen. So how do you go about building inclusive buyer personas that attract more of the customers you want? After going through and assessing whether or not your brand is excluding customers you don't intend to, the fix is quite simple. Construct buyer personas that are more inclusive. Now, here are four steps to help you create personas that include the customers you want to serve and intentionally exclude the ones that you don't. First thing to do. Make a list of all the different types of people who have the problem that your business solves. Next, intentionally declare who you want to exclude. Again, inclusive marketing is not about serving everybody. So choose the people that you want to specifically make sure feel like they belong with your brand. Number three, evaluate if you need to create multiple personas. A simple way to figure out whether or not you need a separate persona for a particular customer group is by asking the following question. How would our execution of our marketing to such and such persona change if this person was fill in whatever demographic difference that is? If your marketing execution would change, that would mean that you would need a different persona. If it's the same, but you just need to make some tweaks here and there and how you show up that could be applicable for everybody, you can use the same persona. And then lastly, identify whether or not focusing your efforts on one group of customers can help you win a larger group. Sometimes the niche consumer should be the lead consumer. So remember that story that I told you about me being gluten-free and whenever we go to a restaurant, me and my friends or me and my family, I always choose a restaurant. I'm the lead consumer. If it doesn't work for me, we're not going. The same things apply in a lot of different product categories. It's time for your business to start making some new friends. Inclusive marketing is the future of marketing, and your growth depends on your ability to develop inclusive buyer personas and strategically creating them so that you can be relevant in how you're showing up in the world. The customers who have the problem that your business solves are waiting for you to show up. Your marketing either includes or it excludes. There is no in-between. Be intentional about declaring the customers you don't want to serve. Then get busy figuring out how to be a good friend to the ones that you do, especially the ones who aren't quite like you. That's it for today's episode. If you'd like even more resources on how to get started building an inclusive brand, head on over to inclusivemarketing.co slash starter kit to get your inclusive marketing starter kit. And if you like this episode, I would so appreciate it if you'd share it with a friend and even rate and review it in your podcast app of choice. It'll help get the word out so others can get going delivering inclusive experiences. Until next time, remember, everyone deserves to have a place where they belong. Let's use our individual and collective power to make sure more people feel like they do. Somebody's waiting on you. Thanks for listening. 